today we shall conclude our spiritual excursion of Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. And this morning we will feast upon verse 28b through 32. And once again, our message is entitled, There's a Party Going On. There's a party going on. As we delve into this last feast of these verses, we have two points today, and it leads into what our music team talked about. The first point, the elder son's heart, and the second point being the father's heart. And as we talk about the elder son's heart and as we talk about the father's heart, I pray that you allow the Holy Spirit to check your heart, to see where your heart is today. For God has a way of showing us sometimes that we have a heart condition as it relates to him. The first point that we look at is the elder son's heart, and we find these words in verse 28b. And his father came out and began pleading with him. Last Sunday, we addressed the elder son's response to being invited to attend his younger brother's return home. The elder son was angry when he found out that his father was throwing a party for the return of his younger brother. He was angry with his father for forgiving his brother, for reconciling and restoring his brother without his brother doing anything to earn it. For as far as the elder son knew, he just came home and now they're killing the fatted calf for him. The elder son was so angry that he would not go in and participate in the celebration. He refused to participate in the father's joy. Because you remember the focus was not so much on the returning of the son, but it was on the father's joy of celebrating the repentance of his son. Someone said, where God's happiness is, then there is no room for self-righteousness. The elder son, like the Pharisee and the scribes, did not understand the unmerited favor being shown, the grace being shown, the mercy being shown. The elder son and the Pharisee foolishly believed God's favor, God's grace, was something to be earned by good behavior. And as we were talking in our Sunday school class today, and as we look at our own lives, we still sometimes believe that God's love and God's favor is based on what we do and not for who we are. As the curtain rises on our text this morning, we are challenged by the Father's initial response. So we saw last week that the party was going on. It was loud. It was active. It was a wonderful time. And we saw the older son sitting or standing outside of the party. And now we're waiting to find out what the father's response is. And it wasn't what we expected. And it wasn't what the Pharisees expected. Because it says the father came out. The father left the party and came out to meet the elder son. Now just imagine you're at a party and it's celebrating. The music is playing well. The orange juice and grape juice is flowing real well and you're having a wonderful time and you're celebrating and you're excited and now there's somebody out there that don't want to come in most of us would be of the mindset that's your loss 
You can be angry all you want. You can stand out there all you want. started reading this and you start hearing this, isn't this that wonderful picture of how our Heavenly Father saw how messed up we were and he could have stayed up in glory, but he came down to meet us? He could have easily said, I'll just stay up here in glory and have a good old time and just leave us in our mess. But not only did he come out to meet him, the Bible says the father pleaded with the elder son. The father didn't command that his son come to the party. He didn't send a servant to drag his son to attend the party. No, he pleaded with him. And some translation it says he entreated his son. The word entreat means to come alongside of another, to offer aid and comfort, to beg, to console, to comfort, to encourage. The same word that is translated comforter. So he comes down as a father, and he comes to meet the son. And if you looked at it in the original text, it's written in the imperfect tense, which would read, the father kept on beseeching, pleading, entreating his elder son to come into the party. Now, most of us would not have come out of the party. And if we did come out of the party, would we be pleading with that child to come in? It is one of those where we say, well, I got the right not to beg him to come in. I got the right not to plead him to come in. I got the right not to ask them to come in. They should be coming in because they done done something wrong. And this is a story that we don't like because we say this father didn't do the right thing. Well, if you're saying this father didn't do the right thing, you're saying God didn't do the right thing. Because you got to understand, God pleads with us. You say, well, how does God plead with us? He don't plead with us. Do you not know when we messing up, when we sinning, does he not allow that Holy Spirit to come to us and start bringing us in? He don't leave us in the mess. He don't leave us in the pit. He goes in there and he says, come on, come on, come on. Come on back to me. So we like it when the Father does it to us, but we say, no. If that had been my child, he'd still have been out there. I might have turned the music up and might have had the orange juice and grape juice flowing even more to let him know what he missing. So let's break this down a little bit further. The father went to his son in the right spirit. But as we shall see, just because we come in the right spirit does not mean it will be received. Because in some cases, it actually will be rejected. So just because I come in the right spirit, that don't mean it's going to be accepted. But that's not my responsibility my responsibility is to make sure I come in the right spirit. So sometimes, as we were talking about Saturday yesterday, before I come to somebody, I got to make sure I'm in the right spirit. Because if I come into you in Delbert's spirit, that's all old time. Delbert's spirit got a tongue that can be vicious. Delbert's got a tongue that can slice you up. But if I'm coming in the right spirit, now I'm coming under the influence of the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to say what God tells me to say, and I don't control how and what you do with my response. Two, the Father's response was full of grace and mercy. The Father shows compassion towards the elder son, just as he had shown compassion to the younger one. The younger one made his bold statement about, I wish you were dead. 
This one sees a party going on, sees his father is happy, and he angrily says, I'm not going in. Both of them were disrespectful, but God, the father, showed compassion to both of them. So once again, we saw last week, how somebody treats me is not, not necessarily supposed to be how I treat them. And we know that's one of those that we need to say amen, hallelujah. Because now somebody comes to me nasty. Now I got to be saying, I can't come back nasty with you. Even though my flesh saying, go devil, go devil, go devil, go devil. <laughs> then I got to pause. I got to breathe. I got to ask God, help me to know how to respond. So the other week I was driving. I said, I hope I ain't getting to be like Mr. Magoo or be the old man that I'm driving. But I think I still drive relatively good. So the, I was getting ready to turn on Lincoln Highway, but you know, I, I didn't have the light, but it was green, but I was going to turn, and I couldn't make the left turn because cars were coming. So I saw a car coming, but they were driving real slow. So I didn't turn in front of the person. car behind me started beeping the horn. So then we, we were on Lincoln Highway, you're ready to turn into the chase on that, that corner right there. So, you know, the, the old part of Delbert was saying, I hope he turns into Chase, too. <laughs> and, I, and I hope when he, when he come out, he got a height challenge. <laughs> so when he get out of his car, he ain't but five foot nothing. When I get out of my car, I'm six something, and I just stand over him. Yeah. <laughs> So we got to know how to respond when somebody is coming at us in a bad way. This father gives us that beautiful picture symbolizing God the Father. I got to check myself so I'm coming in the right spirit. It's a beautiful picture of our Heavenly Father making the first overture of peace to the sinner. See, the elder son is still outside saying, I ain't coming in. I'm angry. I'm full of rage. I'm full of a lot of other stuff we're going to see in a few minutes. But the father makes the first move towards the sinner. But isn't that the same thing he did with us? Because, you know, I, I go to the scriptures and, and I look at Romans 6 and it says, while we were helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Mm. So God didn't come down to earth to save me when I got everything right. He didn't come down to help me when I could help myself. God made the first move. How do I know the first move was made by God? Because it's only the Holy Spirit that draws us into God. He's got to make the first move. You don't make the first move. How dare we have a theology out there that God sees in the future who is going to pick him? You don't have the ability to make the first move. He has to make the first move. Well, let's listen to the elder response. Because we would think that this kid would be broken now. But that would be wishful thinking. Because in verses 29 and 30 it says, But he answered him and said to his father, Look, for so many years I have been serving you, and I have never neglected the command of yours. And yet you have never given me a young goat, so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came home, or came who has devoured your wealth and pro with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Hmm. I always like saying it, not biblical, this is me. I live by the philosophy, just let people talk. And the longer they talk, the more they demonstrate their heart, their thinking, and their motive. I think that's one of the reasons why God says be, be slow to speak and 
fast to listen. Because when people start talking, their true feelings come out. We can hide them for a mo moment. But this young, this elder son has been hiding some stuff for a long time. And in these verses, it starts flowing. So now you're getting the indication what our true relationship is like. See, sometimes we think our relationship with our children, our spouses are better than what they actually are. Then when they start talking and they really let stuff start flowing, now you need to be listening because that's giving you a true indication of what that relationship is like. I told you one time, it was bad on my part again. I was in the house, kids didn't know I was in the house, so they came home from school. As soon as they came home from school, they just talking, talking, talking. I'm just downstairs listening. So after they had talked for a little few minutes, then I come upstairs and they, oh, oh, you here? I just want to hear how you talk freely, because I know you can talk when I'm right in front of you. But now when you're not knowing I'm around, now I'm hearing where we really stand. The elder son was not only angry, he was also disrespectful. See, just while you're hearing the first thing that comes out of his mouth, look, indicating his deep enmity and disrespect respect towards his father. Look, a sign of utter contempt, a viciousness in his tone indicating his true feelings towards his father. Look. That'd be like you talking to somebody and say, look. Like, man, who are you talking to? <laughs> see, this father way more advanced than me. But see, in Delbert's translation, that'd been the first thing that came to my mind. Well, who are you talking to? <laughs> I can see. I don't need you to tell me to look. So this son is starting off the conversation, showing that I ain't thinking too much of you, Dad. Look. All right. So he says, look, it was considered to be of the utmost disrespect for a son to speak or argue with his father in public. More than likely, this conversation was said or overheard by the servants and the guests. Remember, our outward actions are a mirror into our hearts. You can say you love me, but when I look at your actions, you really give me an indication where your heart is. For so many years, he says, I've been serving you. When he uses this word serving in the original, it's I've been your slave. I've been your slave for all of these years. I have served you not out of love, but out of some sense of grim duty. I have worked for you. I have served you not out of love, but what you would give me, what you would provide for me. I've earned whatever I have gotten from you or will ever get from you. I have worked for you, slaved for you, and you are getting all the glory I should be getting the glory for all of my hard work. Someone said that's like that, what am I going to get out of this syndrome? Have you ever had that? Or you haven't had it, your friends and other people had it. That whenever you do something, you're doing something with the mindset, what, what's in it for me? What am I going to get out of it? I'm not doing it for your glory totally. I'm doing it for a part, but I'm also doing it for what am I going to get? I like it from, you know, my old sinful days of watching The Godfather. And you know how I always liked Michael and I didn't like Fredo too much. But Fredo was of that mindset when Michael was beginning to grow in power. 
Michael and Fredo had to have that conversation and Fredo said, you my younger brother. What about me? What about me? I can do things. This older son is saying, what about me? Why is everything being done for this Noah account? What about me? Sadly, there are saints in the church today that they still want accolades. They want their service to be known more than even God's glory being given. That question that always comes to me and it comes to you today is, what drives your service for the Lord Almighty? If it's just a sense of duty, be careful, because you can easily end up being the elder son. It's a fine line between duty, discipline, obligation. It can quickly move into, this is a duty, and I'm only fulfilling my duty. Where God is saying, yeah, you need to be faithful, but you also need to be doing it because you love them. Not because it's a duty. Because before you know it, that elder son will be ringing in your ear. I like what 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. But this elder son is still not done talking. He says, I have never neglected a command of yours. It has been said, we are normally not being truthful when we use words like never or always. So when you put that into your, your sentence, more than likely it's not true. So you get an argument with somebody and say, you never do this or you always do that. That's your flesh normally speaking. So this older son is now letting his flesh, because he says, I've never neglected a command of yours. Had not the elder son just now neglected a command or request of the father by refusing to come into the party? He didn't have to even think that far back. He just had his father come out and repeatedly plead for him to come into the party, and he repeatedly said, I'm not coming in. But here he's saying, I've never neglected one of your commands. But he ain't done talking yet. And yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. The elder son was not only angry, he was not only disrespectful, he was jealous. Jealousy happens when we spend our time watching and focusing upon what someone else has or what someone else is receiving. Jealousy promotes strife, Disunity, rebellion. It has been said, jealousy in the church releases a spiritual poison so deadly it chokes the anointing of God. God said, I want to anoint South Suburban, but I have difficulty anointing South Suburban because there's so much jealousy in the church. There's so much division. There's so much disunity. There's so much strife. Because this one is upset because this one has this, or this one's upset because they don't have this. And God is saying, they are not pleased with what I have given them. He says, but when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. The elder son was not only angry, he was not only disrespectful, he was not only jealous, he was also bitter and resentful. It has been said, bitterness is like a beach ball in which a child foolishly tries to submerge underwater. It keeps popping up. Hmm. This son of yours. When we are bitter about a situation or a person, 
We replay the offense over and over and over and over again in our minds and our hearts. We can't wait to share our bitterness with anyone willing to listen. He couldn't even say, my brother. He had to say, this son of yours. That's giving you indication of his heart. He can't even say, my little brother. He didn't even say it. He didn't call him by his first name. He said, that son of yours. Like we do sometimes when our children mess up, he says, that's your child. When he or she doing well, that's mine. This brother has so much bitterness, so much anger, that he will not even call his brother, brother, that son of yours. Resentment hinders relationship because it keeps us from believing the best about the person we resent. Resentment keeps us from really knowing, trusting, forgiving, enjoying the person we resent. It has been said, every time we rehearse why we are angry, we form a brick of resentment and it stacks on a wall and it gets higher and higher and it puts a wall between ourselves and that person that we resent. And here the resentment is not so much only for that younger brother, but there is resentment towards the father. How do we know that? Because he was not only angry, he was not only disrespectful, he was not only jealous, he was not only bitter, he was not only resentful, he was accusatory. You killed the fatted calf for him. And you won't even kill a goat for me. You remember the fatted calf is the prize. That's the good one. He said, you haven't even killed a young goat for me. For that other son of yours, that other person of yours, that other son or that other one, you done gave him the best of the best, and you haven't even given me table scraps. And you wonder why I'm not going into this park. You want to know why I'm staying outside of here. You've given this to this one who does not deserve it, and I deserve it. Because I've been a slave for you. I've done everything that you wanted me to do for you. And you won't even give me a goat. We sit there and say, what's going on? Accusation. It's been said a clear pond has no ripples unless a stone is thrown into it, which creates turbulence in the tranquility. Everything can look peaceful. Everything can be nice and calm. But as soon as an accusation is thrown in there, it begins to stir up problems. And now he's thrown in many stones towards his father. And that fake peace that they had is all stirred up. Remember, to desire to stir up conflict and bring out accusation against others is a sinful attitude. What's so horrible about this son's accusation? In essence, the older son was actually suggesting that the father needed to seek his forgiveness. You need, he might, have, he might even use the fingers and stuff. Look, you need 
to seek my forgiveness for how bad you've treated me. Now you know you're talking to a fool when they, they start talking like that. You got to be praying up real hard. You expecting me to be saying, I need to seek your forgiveness? That's how far off this elder son's heart is. John Piper put it this way. The elder son is a prodigal. He's just a prodigal without the guts to physically leave. He didn't want to leave the double inheritance as the firstborn. It was much easier for him to just wait until the father died, and then he would have what he wanted, the father's riches. The younger one, the prodigal one, he left physically. The older one didn't leave physically, but as we see from his words and his heart, he's left spiritually. He just didn't have the guts to leave. Because isn't it interesting, we don't see anywhere in the scripture that it says what the younger son did when he left. But the older son says, he spent all of your money on prostitutes. Who told him he spent them all on prostitutes? Did these two brothers talk before the younger one left? I can't wait till I got this house. When I go to another country, I ain't going to have nothing but wine, women, and women. Now what we're finding out is this older one at wine, women, and women too. He just didn't leave. He might have looked holy. He might have looked spiritual. But the same evil thoughts was running through this one. So now you say, let me have a young goat so I can party with my friends. More than likely that, man, I'm going to have a party and you ain't even invited, Dad. Because where I want to be is with my friends and spend your money. Someone once said, you know, you have vultures and buzzards in the church. And somebody said, what, what is that? I was going to make that a title one day, but I said that might frighten too many people away. So vultures are known for eating dead animals. Buzzards are birds of prey eating small animals. And there's a problem sometimes in our lives because there are some people in our lives who are around us and they prey on us while we are alive trying to get all they can get while we are alive and then there are some that are around us who can't wait till we die so they can receive something in the wheel. I made a mistake once and told our children about insurance and how insurance works and what the word beneficiary meant. And those little kids started looking at me a lot different. Now, how does that work again? Primary and secondary beneficiary. And if you and mom go at the same time, it all flows to us. Somebody said, there's vultures and buzzers in the church. They only show up for feasts and funerals. Now, hopefully you ain't one of them. That you, just, you just show up for friends and family day, and when so-and-so die, you show up. Because then you'll be leaving and saying, Pastor, and call me a vulture or a buzzer. And I say, wait, let your behavior give you your definition. So let's look at this father's heart as we close. And he said to him, son, you always been with me and all that is mine is yours, but we had to celebrate and rejoice for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost 
and has been found. The elder son, not once in any of his words, ever used the word father. That son of yours, look, never said father. Now when you look at the father, he's immediately calling this older son, son. He didn't call him servant. He didn't call him slave. But the Greek word huios, which is a formal word for son, he didn't even use that. He used the Greek word techna, which means my child. Look at the difference in their language of their words. One saying look, one not even calling them and acknowledging them as father, and the other one saying Now all the stuff that you've done, even though you done spoke to me this way, I didn't call you a dirty, rotten child. I didn't say you used to be my child. Didn't say anything like that. My child. And most of us know how that makes us feel, whether we five years old or 20 years old, when or 30 years old or 40 years old, that when your parent calls you my child, that ownership, that, that love just emanates from that concept that you are identifying with me, you are owning me, you are saying that I am beloved of you. Even when I mess up, God can still say, my child, come back home. My child, repent. He doesn't do like what some of us do. You call yourself a believer. Find me anywhere in scripture where God does that. He's always letting us know he is still proud of us even when we mess up. I feel sometimes for those parents, I'm praying to God, oh, I never want to be that, but I pray. How do those parents deal when you're watching the news or something and some horrible event has taken place and a picture comes across this, the TV and they said, if anybody knows this person, please con call the police. And you know good and well it's your child. Are you feeling at that time? That's, that's my child. Well, now guess what? When we done done some horrible things and we come across the screen, God is still saying, first words is coming out of there is just a mouthful. When the father spoke to his son, his child, his voice was clearly full of grief and agonizing pain mixed with compassion, love, grace, and mercy. All that is mine is yours. Mm. All that I have is, and guess what? God is saying the same thing to us. He's saying, all of my glory, all of my riches, all of my power is yours. I've given you my Holy Spirit. I've given you the power that resurrected Jesus from the dead. I've given it to you. I think where we mess up sometimes is that we miss this point. God is basically saying, I value you and your relationship more than I value your works. 
And I think that's mind-boggling for us because many of us are still caught up in the trap. My value comes from what I do. So I'm going to make sure I do my duty. Because the more I do my duty, the more you're going to value. You're going to be thinking, I can't work and I can't use South Suburban unless I have dutiful people in there. That church will just go away. But God is saying that church won't go away because the value is in them and their relationship with me. Do you know that you are valuable to God? I think many of us don't have any concept that we're valuable or we think other people are more valuable. I always tell people who come to this church, I am no different than anybody else at the church. I just have a different function than you have. That don't make me more valuable. The person who's at the door, the person who cleans the church, the person who does the landscape, they are valued by God, not by what they do, but for who they are. They are children of God. And God is saying, that is my child. All that is mine is yours. You have an inheritance, not wages. See, I think some, some, some of us get those terms mixed up, and I think we're doing things in God's church expecting wages. And God is saying that we have been given a gift, and that gift is eternal life, and the gift has nothing to do with wages. So whenever I hear believers talking about, do they have any fruit? Does that mean that they say? Well, when you say, are there any fruit? Does that's what they're saying? You're saying, what works have they done to, to receive heaven? We don't do any works to receive heaven. That is a gift from God. It is part of our inheritance. So God is saying, even though I'm not dead yet and I never will die, I'm giving you part of your inheritance now. Mm. <laughs> I'm giving you part of the inheritance now because the moment you truly accept my finished work of my son, I give you a piece of it. I give you a little bit of the Holy Spirit. And he said, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to seal you with the Holy Spirit. And now you have the power to do all things to my glory. But he said, that's just a piece of the inheritance because some of it you can't get until you leave this earth. But that other part of your inheritance is glory. He says, I got a place for you because you are already a citizen there. you just not physically there yet. But there's coming to be a day when you will receive that inheritance. And you are not working and sending up lumber for your inheritance. We're not talking about 99 and a half won't do. fellowship with you son but the son is letting them know all I want is the goodness I don't want a relationship with you I always said and remember we are as close to the Lord as we want to be we have as much fellowship with him as we want to 
you say, man, me and the Lord ain't close like so-and-so. I don't know why I ain't as close to them. You ain't as close as them because you don't want to be as close as them. Well, Pastor, I do want to be as close to them. No, you don't. Because if you wanted to be closer to them, guess what? You be closer to them. But it sounds nice to always keep saying, I want to be closer to them. And God is saying, you are exactly where you want to be. So quit lying. But then we have these final words. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live. He was out of fellowship, but now he has repented and once again is abiding in me. We had to celebrate and rejoice. He was lost and has been found. My love for my child is the reason why we are celebrating and rejoicing. I am so happy that he has repented and come back home. And he's saying, the same way I'm throwing a party for this one, I got a party waiting for you. If you just repent. See, some of us want to say, well, I'm going to the party anyway. He's just going to take me any kind of way I am. And God said, don't work that way. He's letting us know, I'm not celebrating and rejoicing if you come back to me as an unrepentant sinner. You're still away from me as far as I'm concerned. I got a party waiting for you once you repent. Some of us went far country and might still come to church every Sunday, but we know deep down we're in the far country, and God is saying, I got a party waiting for you as soon as you come back home. We can't just come home me any old kind of way. You got to repent. As soon as you repent, boom, that kicks everything in. The music starts playing, restoration starts playing, reconciliation starts playing. All that starts happening. But the key is, you got to take that step of repentance. Now, this is one of those wonderful things in the scriptures that leaves us mind-boggling because the story ends not letting us know what choice was made by the elder son. If anybody tell you they know, once again, your lying ears should go up. You're lying because you don't know. You don't know because the scripture don't tell you. So that's one of those where I say, I got so many years left on this earth. I got so much time. I'm not going to spend time trying to figure out, did he go in or did he not go in? Well, I think he went in. I don't think he went in. Well, I see, I don't care what you think. Because God has left it open this way for a reason. Because you remember who this story was to, the Pharisees. And he's letting the Pharisees know by the end, the invitation is still out there for you. Do you want to come to the party, Pharisees? Do you want to come and rejoice? Do you want to come and celebrate? I got room for you. Are you going to stay out there and be self-righteous, moralist, legalistic, spiritual, or are you going to come in and accept me on my terms? The Pharisees had to make a decision. And you and I had to make a decision. The first decision that we had to make is, am I going to accept his invitation to come from being lost in darkness to come into his marvelous light and repent of my sin of unbelief of his son Jesus Christ and accept what he did for me on the cross? And God says, if you accept what my son did on the cross and you repent of that unbelief that you once had, I will throw a party and the angels will rejoice because you have been saved. 
Or maybe somebody here that's one of those elder sons, and they're religious, they're moral, they're legalistic, they know how to dress, they know how to talk, but their heart is not right with God. And God is saying, if you want to leave from the porch and come on in the house, you got to repent. Then there's some of us who have made that, that salvation issue and we've made the decision, we've made the choice, and we've accepted the Lord. But God is saying, now since you've accepted me, you still have defied me. You still have been disobedient to me. So I need you once again to repent of what you've done so we can be back in that fellowship that I want to have with you. So we could be in the pigsty or we could be on the porch. Which one is it? We might have a family member who hasn't come to know the Lord, and they're in that pigsty. We're praying to God that they come to their senses and they accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. But we also know we got some who are moralistic, legalistic, churchalistic. I like that word I made up. And they're on the porch right outside the party, but so angry they ain't coming in. And God is saying, repent. Repent of that foolishness. I'm ready to party with you too. We were talking about this morning. Is there celebration in the church like it should be? And that's a question that could be answered another day. But one thing we know from this scripture, heaven and God is celebrated when people repent and turn to him. Church can be as quiet as it want to be. Church can look at the clock and say, we're going to get out a little early or a little late today. God is saying, celebration time. Anytime one of our brothers and sisters in Christ gets off the track and they get back on the track, that should be a time that Elder or me have to say, okay, okay, that's been enough. Because we're so excited. We're celebrating so much. But what I'm fearful of in many of our churches, they could be here as well. Someone could get back on the track and you might get Or you might get a yawn. Or you might get a, I don't know if it's really true or not. So I'm going to wait and see if it's really true or not. Just keep remembering these verses. Keep remembering. Keep examining your life. Seeing how I respond. See how I respond the next somebody, time somebody is disrespectful to me. How do I respond? Because I only have control over how I respond. I don't have control over how they talk. I have to check my heart. And I'm not sitting up here telling you I bat 100% because I'd be lying. I'm trying my best to at least get into the 60s or 70s. But it's how you respond and say it's more important than my feelings being hurt. Let me let God use me to get this person on the road or back on the road for God's glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you, Lord, for being with us these weeks as we travel through this powerful um, passage of Scripture. Um, Lord, I know that it has been beneficial to me, and I know it's been beneficial to my brothers and sisters in Christ. I thank you, Lord, for your word going forth. I thank you, Lord, for providing us the opportunity to go through these words. And I thank you, Lord, for you just continually speaking to us reminding us, showing us um, who you are 
what you're doing in our lives. And I thank you, Lord, for every man, woman, boy, or girl who's here at South Suburban today and those who will hear it through the airways and through technology that your word is true and your word is powerful and your word is alive and your word is worthy of all the praise and all the honor. We say all these things in the name of your son, 